It's a great honor to be among you this morning. Uh, my name is Bob Steele. I'm the lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska, which is a sister church, a partner church to Frontline. I find myself uh, thankful to be here this morning. I also find myself envious of your church name, Frontline. What a simple name. What an understandable name. How unlike Coram Deo. Naming our church in Latin seemed like a really cool idea 12 years ago. And as they say, hindsight is 2020. So here we are. Uh, I understand that you've been working your way through the minor prophet Hosea. Uh, I'm going to take a break from that this morning. And so I would wish to say either I'm sorry or you're welcome, depending on how you feel about that. Um, If you have a Bible with you or perhaps a Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter 25. That's where we'll be focusing our attention this morning, and so I'm going to give you a minute to get there. I'm going to ask you to uh, attend to this text with me as I read it out loud for us. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and so you should find your way there rather easily. We're going to be focusing on Matthew 25, uh, starting in verse 31, one of the famous parables Jesus told. Let me read this text for us. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of God for the people of God. Um, The thing about reading the Bible is that the more you do it, the more you realize that the Bible actually begins to read you. Uh, This is one of the reasons for myself that despite my skepticism and my cynicism and my doubt, I keep coming back to the words of Jesus and especially to the parables. A parable is a teaching device. Uh, it's, It's a story that's designed to work on you. Its meaning is not immediately clear. 
parables lodge themselves in your consciousness like a rock in your shoe or like that squeaky spot in your floorboards that just won't go away. Parables are intended to get down inside you and work on you over time. This particular parable, the parable of the sheep and the goats, has been working on me for about 35 years now. Um, I personally think it's one of the most perplexing stories Jesus ever told. And I think it might help us understand it this morning if I narrate my own journey for you in, in wrestling with the meaning of this parable. The first time I remember encountering the parable of the sheep and the goats was in the story Bible that my mom used to read me as a child every night before bed. And by the way, if you're raising kids, um, I hope that's something you do, reading them Bible stories, especially at bedtime. Uh, As children, we are formed by the stories we hear. And I count it as a grace from God that some of my earliest dreams and imaginings weren't about superheroes or cartoon characters, but about what it might have been like to watch God part the Red Sea or to see David kill Goliath or to watch Elijah call down fire from heaven. You give your kids more than you know simply by reading them the Bible. So anyway, I remember hearing this parable as a young boy, probably about four or five years old. And and I remember imagining in my mind what the judgment of the sheep and the goats might be like. Now, I imagined in my, in my childlike imagination, the Lord Jesus sitting on a throne at the end of the Huntington Beach Pier. I was born in Huntington Beach, California, and that's where I spent the first eight years of my life. And, and that beach was the largest expanse of open space that I had seen up to that point in my life. And so I imagined all the people in the world lined up and down the beach as far as you could see in both directions. I figured that Jesus wouldn't need a PA system because his voice is probably pretty loud. And so I kind of imagined Jesus saying, okay, um, everyone listen up. Uh, I need all of you who are sheep to line up over here to my right, your left. Uh, All of you goats, I need you to line up over here to my left, your right. And so I imagined people sort of shuffling around, getting into the right line. Um, I imagine maybe there would be some angels walking up and down and sort of getting the lines right, you know? Uh, You there, uh, you're not a sheep, Uh, you're a goat, please get in the goat line. Uh, You, uh, you're supposed to be in the sheep line. I I know it doesn't make sense to me either, I'm just telling you what the register says. And, And so I imagined the lines would start to advance one by one and And the sheep would go on into heaven and the goats would fall off into the abyss. And I imagine this whole process would take a really long time because after all, there's a lot of people in the world. But I figured that no one would be in a hurry because after all, this would be the last time any of us would have to stand in line. And that was my earliest childhood imagining of sort of this scene that Jesus is describing, this this judgment of the sheep and the goats. I can remember the next time I found myself intrigued by this parable was at the age of about 14. There was this kid, Matt, in the youth group at church who I was pretty sure was a goat. (laughs) He had the leaders at church convinced that he was a sheep. But see, I knew some things that they didn't know. Um, 
A couple of the girls at my school had stories about Matt that certainly didn't sound very Christ-like. And I remember one girl, Angie, who sat next to me in eighth grade band. She found out that Matt and I attended the same church. And when she learned that, she said, is that what all the boys at your church are like? And I knew the answer to that question was no, but I wasn't quite sure how to explain that to Angie in a way that would make sense. And then it dawned on me, the parable of the sheep and the goats. So I said, you see, Angie, when it, when it comes to church boys, there are sheep and there are goats. Um, I don't think my explanation of the parable that day is going to make it into any theological commentaries. At least I pray that it won't. But it did seem to help Angie understand why some church boys should probably be avoided. My next go around with the parable of the sheep and the goats came uh, during my senior year of high school. There was a classmate of mine named Trevor um, who died in a car accident on his way to school. And um, Trevor was a Mormon. There were dozens and dozens of Mormon students in my graduating class. In fact, their church was right around the corner from my house. And so Trevor's death opened up this conversation in our school about life and death, about religion, about faith and salvation. And it opened up a lot of opportunities for me to talk to my friends about the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. And I remember one conversation in particular with my friend Ronnie. Uh, We were talking late one night about some of the differences between Christianity and Mormonism. She was doing her best to convince me that there was this other testament of Jesus Christ called the Book of Mormon and that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God. And reaching a point of confusion in the conversation, I finally said, look, Ronnie, I don't really know what to make of all this, but here's what I know. Jesus said there are sheep and there are goats. And Ronnie said, are you saying I'm a goat? I wasn't really sure if that's what I was saying, but I just know that at that moment, our conversation sort of stalled out. I came back to the parable of the sheep and the goats with with fresh eyes about a decade later when we were in the early stages of planting Coram Deo Church. Uh, We started the same year that Frontline started, 2005. And at that time, downtown Omaha, Nebraska, where I live, was the headquarters of a major global missions agency that focused on poverty. Uh, This organization had been founded by a young, dynamic, really cool guy named Chris who had spent a year with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, working among the poorest of the poor. And that experience had marked him in deep ways. And so he sort of set out to create a Protestant version of the Little Sisters of the Poor, a missions agency that would focus on solidarity with those living in poverty. It was a compelling vision. Chris was one of the most charismatic and the most enigmatic people I'd ever encountered. Um, He would travel around to college campuses and he would call young Christians to sell everything they had, move to the poorest places on earth, and give their lives to working among the vulnerable and disadvantaged. And hundreds of people heeded the call and joined the mission. And they were amazing, inspiring, prophetic people. And we planted our church just two blocks from the global headquarters of this agency. And so in the early years of Coram Deo, 
we had a steady stream of their staff and leaders flowing into our church. They started handing me books from Latin American liberation theologians, people like Oscar Romero and Gustavo Gutierrez. These authors read scripture through the lens of wealth and poverty. They argued that God had a preferential option for the poor, that God favored the poor simply because they were poor. And that the closer you were to the poor, the closer you were to the heart of God. And for these authors, this parable, the parable of the sheep and the goats, was a defining text. I mean, Jesus says right here in Matthew 25, verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the hearers ask Jesus, when exactly did we do these things? And Jesus' answer is, when you did it to one of the least of these, did it to me. It's hard to find a clearer statement in Scripture that the Lord honors those who care for the poor. And so I found their interest in and their reading of this parable compelling. And yet over time, something started to bother me a little bit. Um, I watched a subtle sense of self-righteousness start to creep in among some of the people I knew who were most committed to mercy and justice. After all, if serving the least of these was how you served Jesus, then the more you served the least of these, the more you were serving Jesus. And if you didn't serve the least of these, you weren't serving Jesus. It didn't matter if you were leading a community group in your home or teaching kids at VBS. If you weren't physically with and among the poor, you weren't doing what Jesus asked. And the more and more that sense of thinking started to spread in our church, the less and less it felt like Jesus and his gospel. Because instead of calling both rich and poor to turn to Jesus, it sounded more and more like only the rich really needed to repent. And instead of celebrating all the ways people in our church were serving and loving Jesus in our city, it increasingly felt like only one way really counted. So I started to doubt more than ever that I had any idea what Jesus meant when he told the parable of the sheep and the goats. Well, finally, a few years ago, I heard a famous old preacher who's since died preach a sermon on the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he pointed out something so obvious, I couldn't believe I'd missed it all these years. It's right there in the text, plain as day. And yet in all my reading of this parable, I had never seen it. I'd missed it for decades. And because I had missed it, I had missed the point of the story Jesus is telling. Look with me again at verse 34 of Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? We're thirsty and give you drink. And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Do you see it? The righteous people in this parable are unaware that they've done these things. They're completely taken by surprise when Jesus commends them. They haven't been keeping track. Their response is not, oh yeah, Jesus, thanks for noticing our faithful service among the poor. Instead, they seem totally surprised, even mystified. It's as if they're saying, "Um, Lord, forgive me, but I can't remember exactly what you're talking about. Um, You seem to be talking about me seeing you hungry, feeding you or naked and clothing you or in prison and visiting you. Um, can, can you remind me when that was? Because I'm having a hard time remembering. Jesus' answer, if he were here at Frontline today, might sound something like this. Do you remember that young single mom in your church who had all those credit card bills? She had panicked when her husband left and made some poor decisions and ended up in a bad place financially and she was really stressed and concerned about it. Do you remember when you had her over and you sat down at the kitchen table and got out all her bills and called her creditors and negotiated a payoff amount? Then you remember your gospel community actually banded together and took up a little offering and paid off a couple of those debts for her just to get some traction going for her. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jesus, I had forgotten about that. It was so long ago, and really it was a really easy way to help. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, you did it to me. Or or Jesus might say, do you remember that friend of your son's from school who had a tough family situation and he got bounced around from family member to family member without a real home? You remember how you used to have him over for dinner? You welcomed him at your table. You even made him do the dishes like he was one of your own kids. Oh yeah, Jesus, uh, now that you mention it, I, I do remember that. It's just that it was, it was so fun having him around. It didn't really feel like a sacrifice. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Or Jesus might say, do you remember that refugee family that moved to your city? They had left their whole life behind and were starting over and the father needed to learn how to drive so he could make it to work. Do you remember you you spent five or six Saturdays in parking lots letting him learn how to drive in your car and teaching him through the language barrier how to operate the vehicle? 
Remember that? You taught him and he passed and got his driver's license. Yeah, Lord, gosh, I haven't seen him in so long. I had totally forgotten about that. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The parable of the sheep and the goats, you see, is a parable of gospel transformation. It's a parable about what it looks like to be changed by grace. Deep down in every one of our souls, the default setting by which we operate is a calculus of works. I serve so that I can expect to be served. I give so that I can expect others to give to me. This is how our hearts work. This is our default setting. And so on one level, the parable of the sheep and the goats aligns with exactly what we expect, right? Those who have served the least of these are rewarded by God. Those who have ignored the least of these are not rewarded by God. And that seems to us very fair and just and straightforward. But what violates our expectations in this parable is this. We expect those who get rewarded to know the reward is coming. In fact, we expect that's part of the reason why they've done good in the first place. The reason we expect that is because we know our own hearts. We know that deep down in each one of us is the impulse to do good so that good might come to us. What's surprising and unsettling about the parable is that it reminds us that the kingdom of God is nothing like we expect. The calculus of the kingdom of God is grace, not works. You'll notice this parable is full of language about a king and his kingdom. It involves a throne and a judgment. It involves a king who says, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the world. Who is this king? It's King Jesus who left behind his throne in heaven and came and found us hungry. And he gave us the bread of his body. He came and found us thirsty. He gave us the wine of his blood. He came to us and found us naked and clothed us with the robes of his very own righteousness. He found us sick and in need of healing and he laid down his life that we might be healed. He came and found us imprisoned in sin and guilt and shame and he visited us and loosed our chains and set us free. And he did all of this Not because we had something to offer. Not because we could pay him back somehow. But simply out of his great mercy and grace and kindness and goodness and generosity. See, when we receive the grace of the king of kings, it changes us. What grace does is it comes in and rewires the whole motivational structure of our hearts 
What fills us up is the love of Jesus and that love overflows toward God and others in simple, ordinary, everyday ways. The parable of the sheep and the goats shows us that people who are changed by grace, people who receive the love and the grace and the goodness of King Jesus toward them, do good to others without even thinking about it, without calculating it. Not to put God in their debt, not to get something in return, but rather works of justice and mercy are just the natural overflow of their lives. Why? Because they know the one who has been merciful. You might say it this way. It's not that they recognize Jesus in the least of these. It's that they recognize themselves in the least of these. I was hungry and Jesus fed me. I was thirsty and Jesus gave me drink. I was naked and Jesus clothed me. I was in need of healing and Jesus healed me. I was a captive and Jesus set me free. That unexplainable, undeserved grace melts the self-interest that lies deep in the corners of our souls. And it changes me into the kind of person who overflows with good toward others because I've received the goodness of God's grace toward me. See, those who have received grace become givers of grace. Those who have received mercy become merciful. Those who have been changed by Jesus become those who change the world in the name of Jesus. Grace turns selfish people into servants. Grace turns self-loving, self-absorbed people into those who are others-centered and God-honoring. That's the message of the parable of the sheep and the goats. The key to the parable is understanding God's grace to us in Jesus that changes the whole way we live and operate in the world. And so here's the question that's before us this morning. Here's the question the text puts before you. Here's the the question the master teacher, King Jesus, wants to land in your lap this morning. Have you received his grace and mercy toward you? Have you come to Jesus Christ acknowledging that you are hungry, thirsty, naked, Poor, weak, imprisoned. And have you allowed him to fill you up and set you free? If not, may you hear and respond to that invitation this morning. And if you have, may this parable remind you of the relentless, overwhelming grace of Jesus Christ that changes the deep structure of who we are and how we live in the world so that our lives begin to overflow with grace 